whereas last Sunday we looked at 2 John, one of the shortest and most neglected books in the Bible, this morning turn with me to 3 John, another largely forgotten book, and it might be on the very same page in your Bible. If not, it's right by it. That's how little these letters are. But uh, as we saw with 2 John, the length of the letter is not always proportional to the punch they pack. The Holy Spirit really laid the smack down on us in 2 John. We are to be challenged by God's work to walk in truth, to constantly and consistently love truth, learn truth, study truth, know the truth, hold firmly to the truth, watch ourselves according to the truth, and never, ever welcome error. And in 3 John, we're going to see a bit how to apply all of that. What does walking in truth look like? What does it look like in those who don't walk in truth? So may he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to Christ's church this morning. And as we get into this, I think we can divide this into five parts. You've got an introduction and a conclusion, and in between, an encouragement a warning, and instruction. So let's go with the introduction first. Let's set the table with 3 John 1 through 4. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. So the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now John, again, does not name himself. If you recall last week, we went through this in Second John. He calls himself the elder. He does that here as well. But this time he does name the recipient. In 2 John, it was the chosen lady and her children. Here he names the recipient. It is a man by the name of Gaius. And we don't know the details about Gaius, but he may have been a pastor. He appears to at least have had some sort of leadership role in his church. What is explicit here is that John loved him very much. He is the beloved Gaius, and he is loved in the truth. And what does all of that mean? Well, to be beloved, beloved, <laughs> means that Gaius was the object of love. He was loved by John, but more importantly, he was loved by Christ. And the reason I say that is because beloved, while we use it in English more often, especially on cards and Hallmark cards and things today, beloved is in reality a term derived from the Greek word agape, which is a particular kind of love. A selfless, sacrificial, never-ending, never-failing love that is unique to God. And it is unique to those who are of God. God, Jesus Christ, had set his affections upon Gaius. Graciously saved Gaius from his sins. So let's understand, beloved, this letter can only be applicable to those who are like Gaius. Those who are in the love of God, those are who are beloved by God, those who are truly saved, truly saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone to the glory of God alone. It's only applicable to people like Gaius who are loved in truth, that is to say, loved in accordance with the gospel truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that must be emphasized today, beloved. 
This love, this kind of love, cannot be shared by just anyone. This is the exclusive love of those who belong to God, uh, to Jesus. The unbelieving, those who remain dead in their trespasses and sins, they don't love like this because they can't love like this because they're not of God. But John and Gaius were, so they did. They shared a love grounded in the truth, grounded in Christ, which gave them more than just common ground. It made them brothers. This was an unbreakable kind of love. It is still today an unbreakable kind of love. Agape never fails. Agape love never fails, writes Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love that has as its foundation God's word is unbreakable. It can be strained. Oh, this love can surely be strained because of sin. But the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It restores love when it seems to be cracking. When love has its as its foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, the scriptures, the truth, it is a strong, strong love. And I wonder today, fellow believers, when we tell one another, we love each other with this kind of love. Do we love them with this kind of love? Do we love them in truth as, God, as John obviously loved Gaius? Gaius was loved in truth. More than that, though, look at this. He was known by the truth he walked in. Known by the truth. Look at what John is praying for regarding Gaius, that in all respects he may prosper and be in good health just as his soul was prospering. Now, that is very high praise. High praise when John doesn't even need to state, he doesn't feel the need to state any kind of concern about Gaius' soul. What a testimony that is of Gaius' faithfulness. And that is something to want for yourself. I, I hope that when people pray for me, they can do so saying my soul is prospering, that they can have that kind of confidence in me. John here was that confident about Gaius. So instead, John prays for his prosperity and for his health. And let me be clear, this is not so that Gaius could be rich. This is not so that Gaius could never have problems. This is not so that Gaius could claim victory or the kinds of things you hear on television and other places from these so-called prosperity preachers who are not preaching the real gospel. John here is praying that John, or he, he's not rather, he's not praying that Gaius would live his best life now or, or that he would have earthly riches. What he's praying for, this is a pastoral concern, so that Gaius would be freed from turmoil, that Gaius would be free from pain, that Gaius would be free from anything that might hinder him from doing the work of the Lord that he was doing. John did not want the mission hindered. He wanted Gaius unrestricted in his service to Christ and to Christ's church. Beloved, how many things do we put in front of ourselves to hinder us from the mission that God has given us? And yet, John wasn't worried about that with Gaius. He was praying that he would continue to be unhindered. Gaius' soul prospered and it showed. Brethren came and testified to John about him, about how he was doing what we saw last week. He was walking in the truth. He was living the truth, loving it. He was learning the truth, studying it, believing it, knowing it. 
The word of Christ dwelt in Gaius richly, Colossians 3.16. The glory of God resonated in Gaius, and it radiated from Gaius. And it brought John great joy. I have no greater joy, verse 4, than this, to hear of my children walking in truth. And ain't that the truth? You know, the best parts of being a father for me have nothing to do with soccer. They have nothing to do with dance. It's when one of my children comes to me and wants to talk to me about the Bible, about, about Jesus. It's when I'm not the one starting the conversation, but they start the conversation with me. That brings me great joy. When I see my children taking steps, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that, is, that, that brings me great joy. That, more, more than just about anything in the world, that brings me joy. Children have that ability to bring their fathers and mothers immense joy. It's certainly true the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We see it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry at his baptism. We see it toward the end of Jesus' ministry at the transfiguration. What do we see? This is the, the, the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am what well pleased. We know that John was there at the transfiguration. He may have been at the baptism and heard that too because he was you know, kind of following John the Baptist around. But what the point is that Jesus' obedience to the Father gave God immense joy. <clears throat> so what was Gaius doing that made his walking in truth so obvious? Well, it's there we move from the introduction of the first four verses to the encouragement of the next four verses. Look at verses 5 through 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully, and this is again John writing to Gaius. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore we ought to support such men, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. So Gaius' walk in truth, his walk with Christ was evident to all because he was acting faithfully in whatever he accomplished for the brethren. What a testimony. Whatever he accomplished for other believers. He was faithful in. And in particular, John is writing about those who, verse 7, went out for the sake of the name. What does that mean? It means that Gaius was supporting these believers who went out, who left their homes to go other places with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were literally the early church missionaries. They went out for the sake of the name. God's name representing all of who he is, all of his character, all of his holiness, all of his truth, all of God's mission. They went out for the sake of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They went out to be workers in the harvest. They went out for the glory of God. They went out as evangelists. These early believers, just like thousands of believers do today, they, they left their homes to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel. They were missionaries seeking to bring glory to God. They went out for the sake of his name, and John celebrated that Gaius was acting faithfully in whatever he accomplished for these people, whatever he accomplished for these brethren. What this is, beloved, it is unquestionably a commendation 
for the tangible support of those who go out to preach the gospel. And whatever they need, money, food, shelter, Gaius worked to meet those tangible needs. He was there to answer their call. And not just for those he knew, but look, verse 6, especially strangers. Beloved, how many of us are willing to sacrifice for those we don't know or hardly know? You know, too often we seem to judge the value of others based on what they mean to us instead of what they mean to God. Sometimes we judge based on the things people have when the Word of God celebrates Gaius' character based on what he wanted to give away, what he was willing to give away. The love of Gaius, his walking in truth was obvious. So obvious, these missionaries testified to his love before the church. John adding, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. In other words, how Gaius, and how we can apply this to us, how we support those on mission, how you and me, how we support those on mission is reflective of our love for God and how, how much we value the glory of God. It is love to support those proclaiming the gospel of Christ, beloved. It is love to give to those who go out for the sake of the name. One of my greatest regrets as your pastor has been in the three plus years I've been here now, our missions giving has gone down and not up. We have been good and we continue to be good at service projects, beloved. And that is to be commended. And I know we've made some decisions in our church based on our numbers, based on our, our general fund. Math, don't lie. But beloved, I do not want to be known for what I tried to hold on to, except for the truth. I don't want to be known for what I tried to hold on to. I'd much rather be known for what I gave away, like Gaius. And I want that for you. I want that for the church. I want missionaries to be able to testify of us, of our love for the glory of God. We would do well as a church, beloved, to re-examine whether or not we are sending those who proclaim the gospel on their way in a manner worthy of God. We would do well to re-examine and recommit to missions giving as a church. We would do well to go ahead and today start thinking in August about how we can give as much as we can to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of which funds missionaries. Because note, verse 7 they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. These missionaries, they did not rely on support from those who don't trust in Jesus Christ. They didn't seek support from those to whom they were preaching. Missionaries should never have to try and find support outside of the church. Christian ministry should never be reliant on those outside of the body of Christ to meet its needs. We ought to support such men. We, he says. It's on us. It's on the church to proclaim the gospel and to support those who proclaim the gospel, both here and elsewhere, at home and abroad. There is no plan B. Jesus said, go and make disciples. John says, support those who, who go out for the sake of the name. It falls on us. It's the church's job. It's our responsibility before God. 
And it is one way we show we are walking in truth. We support them, verse 8, so that we may be fellow workers with them in the truth. Not all of us, even if we want to, not all of us can travel to tell others about Jesus. That doesn't, in no way, shape, or form does that absolve us of our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. You never retire from being an evangelist, beloved. You never stop doing that because of your life circumstances. But in God's sight, when we do support those who go with money, with gifts, with shelter, with food, with support, and of course with prayer, when we do that, we become fellow workers with them with the truth. It's as if we are on the mission field with them, taking part in their going out for the sake of the name of Christ. There's an old hymn that is called Heart the Voice of Jesus Calling. It says, If you cannot cross the ocean and the distant lands explore, you can find the lost around you. You can help them at your door. If you cannot give your thousands... You can give the widow's might. What you truly give for Jesus will be precious in his sight. We cannot be the church and not be on mission. We are not the church if we are not on mission. We cannot be the church if we are not mission-minded. To disregard our duties both to proclaim the gospel and support those who proclaim the gospel the truth, and those who support and proclaim the truth. It is a betrayal of the gospel to neglect our responsibility. It is inconsistent with Christianity. It is inconsistent with loving Jesus who loved us first. We must love, and love means walking in truth. Gaius was. John was encouraging him, press on. Keep doing the things you're doing. Keep supporting those who go out for the sake of the name. And the Spirit through 3 John is saying to us, you do like Gaius. You sacrifice like Gaius. You love others like Gaius. You be on mission like Gaius. You be missions minded like Gaius. And then comes the warning in verses 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. Beloved, we must avoid being like Diotrephes, like the plague. Now, one can't help what their parents name them. But sometimes names in Scripture carry a lot of weight. The name of Jesus, for example, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. It's a big deal. So it's a warning to us right off the bat that Diotrephes, Diotrephes, however you want to say it, it means cherished by Zeus. <laughs> you get the feeling immediately, cherished by Zeus, that he was opposed to the things of God. And it turns out he was, yet somehow... He was in a prominent position, apparently, in Gaius' church. Sometimes this happens. Bad people get in places of leadership. Bad people get in places where they can influence others and exert control. And that seems to have happened here. And John 
really sums up what was wrong with Diotrephes in one phrase. He loves to be first. He loves to be first. He loves the attention. He loves control. He loves to be listened to. He loves when people do what he says. He loves to bully others. He loves to get his way. He loves to be first. And that cuts right into the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. People like that cut right into the heart of what it means to be the church. If anyone wants to be first, says Jesus in Mark 9, 35, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Beloved, being a Christian is not a call to be first and foremost. It is a call to take up your cross and follow the one who is first and foremost. It is a call to not gain, but to sacrifice all you have, even your own life, for the sake of the gospel. But Diotrephes cut the heart out of what it means to be a Christian. And that is enough of an indictment right there. But John goes on and he expands on what he means by loving being first. He does not accept what we say. That is, Diotrephes rejected apostolic authority. He, he rejected God-given authority. The authority of those who, who walked with and talked with and followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. You know, the apostles are described in Ephesians 2.20 as the foundation of the church. And Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. So if anyone in the early church was to be inherently trusted by other believers, it was the apostles. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. Like Peter in Galatians made some mistakes. He was corrected. But if anyone was to be inherently trusted by other believers, it was these men. It was the apostles who were preaching the gospel and planting churches and writing scripture. Yet here... Diotrephes does not accept what we say. He did not accept what the apostles said. John had written a letter to this church. Maybe Second John is that letter. And Diotrephes flat out rejected it. In seeking to be first, he goes against apostolic authority. And what's worse, when you reject God-given authority, what you are doing is rejecting the authority of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that goes for today as well as Diotrephes. It's the same thing we do whenever we ignore or compromise or abandon or reject God's word for any reason. Whenever we decide that what we want is more important than what God has said, we must accept the apostles, what, what the apostles have said. We must accept God's word. We must accept the truth. We must acknowledge his authority through his word. Sadly, the pride of Diotrephes led to destructive behavior, destructive to the church, destructive to the promulgation of the gospel. And John was going to come and point out his deeds, among which were unjustly accusing us, which presumably means the apostles, or maybe, he, John, maybe John's referring to himself and Gaius there. Diotrephes was accusing them with wicked words. You know, character assassination is a ploy still in use today, it, it, it is as old as the Garden of Eden for those who seek to elevate themselves. Has God really said? <clears throat> well, 
Diotrephes rightly sees that the man of God, John, and others who walked in the truth, he, he sees them as a threat to his preferred place of preeminence. So he went the route of the devil. He uses wicked words. He gossips. He tries to bring John down. Beloved, what, James, what does James say? See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire like the tongue. So lest we be like Diotrephes, beloved, we'd better check our hearts. We better watch our mouths, particularly when it comes to those God has placed over us. Diotrephes was guilty, but still there was more. In addition to his heart and his mouth, he did not receive the brethren. So his behavior now, he didn't receive fellow believers who proclaimed the truth, the gospel. Whereas Gaius sent missionaries out in a manner worthy of God, giving what he had, sacrificing out of a love for Christ and a love for them, a love for the gospel, Diotrephes did not receive them. And this is more serious than it might sound on the surface, beloved, because in ancient cultures, hospitality was considered more important than it is today. All you have to do is look at Abraham and Jacob and any other number of places. You know, the Canaanites were the people expelled from the promised land because of their incredible wickedness. That's what scripture says. God cast them out of the land and brought his chosen people in. But even the Canaanites went so far with hospitality as to invent several false gods, several gods related to hospitality and taking care of strangers. Even the Canaanites did this. The, the, the god of strangers was Zeus Xenios. So you've got Diotrephes, who's Mr. Cherished by Zeus, refusing to offer hospitality to Christian missionaries, something even Zeus Xenios would have a not taken kindly to, if he were, you know, real. The bottom line, beloved, is that by refusing to receive fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, Diotrephes was acting in direct opposition to how we are commanded to act in Scripture. In 1 John, John says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Diotrephes, who loved to be first, exerted what authority he had in that local church. He threw his weight around. He wasn't walking in truth, though. He was walking in darkness. And if anyone disagreed with him, so much did he love the preeminence, so much did he love being first that he eliminated the opposition. Rather than foster unity within the body of Christ, he cultivated division. He was everything a disciple of Jesus is not supposed to be, and we've got to avoid his qualities like the plague. Rather than seeking to be first beloved, you and me, we must seek to serve Rather than not accept what the apostles have said, we must submit to all they have said. Man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We've got to be students of Scripture. We've got to live it out. All of it. Rather than unjustly accused with wicked words, we have to follow Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word come out of our mouths, but instead seek to edify one another and build up the body of Christ. Rather than 
not receive the brethren. We must do as Gaius and be ready to sacrifice on their behalf for the sake of the name. And rather than foster division within the body of Christ, beloved, we must do all we can to maintain unity. And that is true unity that is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ through the direction of the Spirit by the Word of God. So the encouragement is for those who seek to live like Gaius. The warning is for those who are living like Diotrephes. Finally, there is instruction. And what is that instruction? It is to follow the example of a man named Demetrius. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Read that again, beloved. We do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Beloved, if you're doing good, if you're obeying what the scriptures teach, it shows you are of God. It shows God is saving you. You are not saved because you obey, but if you're truly obeying scripture, if you're truly following Jesus, you are obeying because you have been saved. But if you are not doing good, if you are seeking to constantly uh, not submit to the Lord, if you're not doing that, if you're not applying his word to your life, then you have real cause for concern this morning because John says you haven't seen God. You've not been saved. John isn't saying that if you ever sin, it means you aren't saved. What he's saying, and, and you know, some people teach that. That's not what John's saying here. What he's saying is that if you are of God, you will consistently obey and seek to obey what he's commanded. Like Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you don't love them, you won't. So beloved, we must make sure that our obedience, our conduct, matches our profession. We cannot just talk the talk. We must walk the walk. If we don't walk the walk, it shows we don't really believe the talk. If we are of God, let us be godly. And let us be careful of who we imitate as Christians. You know, we are who we imitate. Even in the church, there are those in the Christian community who sadly we should not imitate. Like Diotrephes. But Gaius was also given an example to follow. Someone by the name of Demetrius. Who is this? We're not told who this was. But we know enough. We know he was above reproach. Because everyone had a good testimony regarding him, even the apostles. The truth itself testified well regarding Demetrius. His life and his doctrine lined up with the word of God. Everyone thought highly of him. Even the, the what an apostolic endorsement he got. Those who led Demetrius spiritually thought very much of him. What we see in this short summary of this man is something we should all strive to be if we trust and follow Jesus. May others think highly of us. May our lives and our doctrine line up with the word of God. May those who lead us think highly of us. Can you say these things are true of you today, beloved? 
Well, John closes this short letter in a personal way, a customary way of the times. Verses 13 through 15. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And again, John has more to say, but he's written down what is most urgent. The the support of those who proclaim the gospel is urgent. The refutation of those who want to be first is urgent. And the need to emulate the faith and conduct of men like Demetrius, the need to obey and love and submit to the word of God, and that is urgent in John's mind. We must walk in truth. Can it be said today you're walking in truth? Is the faith you profess with your mouth matched by a life that backs your mouth up? Every one of us, beloved, every one of us needs to evaluate what we are doing in the way of supporting the mission of God and the proclaiming of the gospel. What are you doing? What will you do for the sake of the name? Jesus commands us to come to him as we are. He does not leave us where we are. You know, if he left us where we are, what power does salvation really have? No, the Father sent his Son into the world to save sinners from their sins, to make holy a people for his own possession, a people for his own glory. He died, beloved. Jesus died not so that you could remain in your sins, not so that you could keep living the way you want to live. He died so that you might be forgiven from living the way you really want to live. And so that you might be with him and live with him forever. He rose that you might live. He raises us from spiritual death that we might trust in him and walk in truth. We must live, beloved. You must live for the sake of his name. May God, by his grace, allow us, enable us, and empower us to do just that. And if you are not his this morning, if you look at your life and you say, I don't really belong to Jesus, by his will, I pray he will give you a new heart. And that with that new heart, you will believe and respond in obedient faith even to the point of making that proclamation public today. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for our lack of a real mission. Well, what I should say is, Father, forgive us for for our lack of being on your mission. I do pray, Father, that you will help us search ourselves and that we will measure what we think in light of what your word says and we will re-examine are we doing everything we can, are we doing everything we should for the sake of your name. Father, I pray that we will be wanting to be more known for what we give away than what we hold on to. I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that today you might give them the gift of new life. That you might regenerate them and draw them to yourself. And I pray that those like Diotrephes might be crushed to the point of repentance 
that they might truly honor you and serve you as well. And I pray for those who do serve you and maybe they are hindered from the mission. You prayed, well, God, John prayed that Gaius would not be hindered from the mission. That was the point of his prayer. And to that end, Father, we pray that all hindrances to us being on mission for you might be minimized or done away with. May we be able to run the race as efficiently and as speedily and as faithfully as we possibly can. By the way, empowered by you. Father, may you work among us through your spirit in the power of the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. We ask these things in his name. Amen.